Welcome to the Revenue Engine Podcast. I'm your host, Rosalind Santa Elena, and I am thrilled to bring you the most inspirational stories from revenue generators, innovators, and disruptors, revenue leaders in sales, in marketing, and of course, in operations. Together, we will unpack everything that optimizes and powers the revenue engine. Growth Farm Production. Are you ready? Let's get to it. The role of marketing in driving revenue has changed significantly. With the more complex go-to-market motions, the more demanding buyer, and the volatility of the market, being a marketing leader requires you to be data-driven, focused on operational excellence, and being 100% in lockstep with sales. In this episode of the Revenue Engine podcast, Jessica Gilmartin, the Chief Marketing Officer at Calendly, shares how to be a successful marketing leader and gives her advice for cutting through the noise, marketing for both product-led and sales-led go-to-market motions, and aligning with sales. She also shares how she navigated and elevated in her career, despite often being the only woman in the room and what she does today to ensure others have the same opportunity. So excited to be here today with Jessica Gilmartin, the Chief Marketing Officer at Calendly. For anyone not familiar with Calendly, although I really can't imagine anyone listening to this podcast wouldn't be, Calendly is really the scheduling automation platform that helps businesses close deals, build relationships, and grow faster. So welcome, Jessica, and thank you so much for joining me. I am so excited to just share your story and really learn more about your journey. Thank you, Rosalind. It's great to be here. Thank you. Well, let's talk a little bit about that journey, maybe prior to your current role. Um, you've held so many different leadership roles. I saw you were at Asana and Honor and Lighthouse AI, Google, and just so many others. Um, do you mind sharing maybe more about your journey and um, maybe some of those key milestones that, you know, have kind of led you to where you are today. Yes, absolutely. I, I potentially have the weirdest journey ever to CMO of a B2B <laughs> software company, but I think all, all of them have been great learning experiences. So I started as an investment banker for four years. And what I learned there was a lot of grit and a lot of resilience um, and a lot of powering through very, very difficult situations. So I, as difficult as it was, I, I'm really grateful for that experience. Um, and then ended up pivoting to marketing after business school and, you know, went, went to a couple of different companies and then moved to the Bay Area and started a chain of yogurt stores, which was probably the weirdest one <laughs> of them all. Um, but it, it totally made sense at the time. And I think what I learned from that is um, just what it's like to be an entrepreneur. And I've really taken that entrepreneurial spirit with me absolutely everywhere I've gone. And I think that has served me incredibly well. And that's something that I look for in everybody that works for me is that owner mentality and that spirit of agility and um, just really focus on speed and, um, and, and reacting quickly to every situation. So I, I did that and sold it and then ended up stumbling into tech marketing and kind of have done that, that ever since. And I, I'd say the last really pivotal experience for me was at a company called Piazza where I joined, I thought a CMO, um, but what, <laughs> what I actually joined as our first head of sales. And oh. uh, my, my day one, my CEO said to me, okay, you're going to go out and sell. And I was like, but I'm not a salesperson. And she said, well, I need you to be a salesperson. <laughs> so I spent two years selling. And I think I wow. can't imagine a better experience for a marketer than to, than to sell and have a quota 
and understand what it's like to talk to customers and try to close them. And I think it's made me a dramatically better marketer having done that. Oh, I love that. Talk about resilience, right? Being thrown into a role like, well, guess what? You're going to be doing this. And especially it's not, I mean, sales definitely is not something for everybody. So I think that's amazing. And that's really, really great experience too. Um, and I did know about the yogurt thing, actually. I, I know I acted a little bit surprised, but actually I did know about that when I was looking at your background. So I'm happy you shared that. Um, you know, you joined Calendly this year, right, as the chief marketing officer. And it sounds like you actually are doing marketing this time <laughs> around. <laughs> but, you know, <laughs> but what, what interested you in the company and what brought you to the company? Yes, thank God we have an amazing head of sales. Nobody's asking me to be head of sales at, at Calendly. <laughs> um, so, I mean, the number one thing I think from, for any marketer, the number one thing that that is the, the most important thing is to market a product that you love and that you personally get value from. Uh, and so there's there's nothing better than being able to sell a product that you really believe in and that provides value to, to its customers and its users. And obviously Calendly is that way. Uh, and you know, everywhere I go, no matter where I go, when I tell people that I'm gonna work at Calendly, I immediately hear how it's impacted their lives, how they use it, how much they love it. And that's a, that's a wonderful feeling to know that everything that you're doing is actually making people's lives better. It's easier. It's helping them make money. It's helping them find candidates. It's helping them grow their business. Yes. I mean, it's just, it's something that is, is um, really personal for me to be able to do that, but also do it at a company that has tremendous scale, that has a tremendous brand, and that also has huge potential. You know, we, we are, I, I really feel um, so passionately that we're just getting started. You know, e even though we have done so much, there's so much opportunity and there's there's still a big story to tell and there's still a big product vision to fill. Yeah. And so the combination of having that product market fit, having that scale, but having a ton of opportunity is, is, is my sweet spot. That's what I love. And that's what gets me motivated. That's awesome. Yeah. And I definitely have a story to share around how it's changed my business for sure. <laughs> I mean, I am, oh, I'm awesome. a user, I'm a, you know, a proud and happy, um, user for sure for my business as well. So definitely maybe after the call, I can share that with you. <laughs> But um, Thank you. I love it. yeah, you know, I think, you know, scheduling automation or I guess maybe making it more importantly, making it easy, right, for those potential buyers to meet with your business is so critical. I think we, you know, we as buyers, right, we, we want to be able to schedule and meet with the right people at the right time. You know, as the really the leader in the space, like what have you seen in the market, maybe in terms of trends or maybe how has it evolved and, you know, where do you see it going? Absolutely. And, and when Tope, our founder, started it many years ago, he, he was really the pioneer. No one had thought of this. He was a salesperson that was frustrated at trying to do the back and forth ping ponging of emails. Yeah. And so he created this link and it was this brilliant, incredibly sophisticated, intuitive, easy thing mm -hmm. um, that immediately took off. And, and obviously what's happened over time is that, you know, lots of people have created links um, and, and we're still the, the, the number one uh, in the market. But what we've realized is that the, the needs of our customers are just much more sophisticated. And of course, their, their asks are more sophisticated. And so the, the big thing that we are, are working on and the big thing that we've created is opportunities to really serve mm -hmm. our customers with different use cases and with their more sophisticated needs. So, you know, if, if you're a salesperson um, and you were trying to schedule a meeting, one-on-one -on -one meeting with a, with a customer or prospect, now you might want to bring in your manager and you might want to bring in your sales engineer and you might want to bring in your solution specialist, your customer service support. All of a sudden that becomes a very complicated meeting to schedule. Mm -hmm. And so we allow you to do that. And so that's one really big step. I think the second, you know, big change is how integrated different teams are. 
So, you know, marketing and sales and support used to be very siloed. Now everybody has to work together. And so we created this routing solution that we launched a few months ago, mm. which is really about how do you, as marketers, enable a really intuitive, sophisticated system on your website to allow leads to get to the right support specialist or the right salespeople um, in a way that will allow them to close deals faster. And I think the final thing that we're seeing is that, you know, uh, people are really kind of tired of tool proliferation <laughs> and having to work in 10 or 15 different systems at the same time. Yes. And so how do you have something, a, a product that spans many, many systems and allows people to work within the tools that they're already spending their time in, whether that's LinkedIn, whether that's Salesforce, whether that's Gong or outreach, um, so that they're not constantly having to context switch. So these are the things that we spent a lot of time thinking about and building for. I love that. Yeah, definitely. Tool proliferation. When you said that, I just felt like a little bit of <laughs> a little bit of anxiety. But yes, definitely. The more that we can, you know, help our especially our sellers, but everybody, any user, right? Being able to stay in the same platform and do multiple things, right? Address multiple use cases and some of those challenges in one place is going to not only drive efficiency, but adoption and just better synergies and better productivity. So yeah, I, I sometimes feel like if you opened up our heads these days, you would just see a little ping pong ball <laughs> that's just going back and forth because we spend so much time context switching yes. and it, it and it really kills productivity. And, and sometimes I just feel exhausted at the end of the day with all of the context switching. So the, the more that we can do to just create opportunities for people to stay in a flow, mm. um, I think the better. Yeah, yeah, 100%. I definitely agree with that. Um, maybe along the same lines, I think about it's getting harder and harder, right? To kind of cut through that noise and reach prospects where they want to be met, right? I know as a buyer, you know, as a consumer, as a buyer, I'm expecting, right? It's, I have, I'm overloaded with information, kind of talking about that context switching, right? It's over, overloaded with information. So, you know, I guess, what do you see organizations maybe doing right? And then maybe some of those things that they're doing wrong when it comes to cutting through that noise, right? And getting to the right people at the right time. Yeah. I, I think about this a lot, especially from the B2B side in two ways. So one is the outbound and one's inbound. So I think when I, when I started my career in marketing, I think you could still have a pretty robust and um, effective outbound motion mm -hmm. with just having SDRs that are just pounding people all day. You know, we, that worked for us. Yeah. Uh, I don't think that works anymore, at least from what I can see. Yeah. And I think it is because there's just so much noise out there. So when I think about effective outbound, I think our job as marketers and is to work really closely with salespeople to just have amazing data. Mm -hmm. And so when I think about, you know, how do we give our sales team really great data to know who are the right people to target at the right time? And that is through, you know, really robust product data, mm -hmm. really good intense signals, bringing anything that you can together so that our sales team has a good understanding of which are the accounts and the people that they should reach out to. So I think fundamentally it is just moving away from the spray and pray approach of, hey, I'm just going to email lots of people every day and hope someone responds to, I'm going to email a very small number of people, but I'm going to do it with a lot of great data mm -hmm. and intent and a lot of personalization. Yeah. That's kind of on the outbound side. And on the inbound side, you know, our job as marketers is to bring people into the funnel, which I, and at a, at a, I say a pretty broad level. So our job is to really kind of 
um, make sure that we have a very broad message that goes out to as many people as possible. Mm -hmm. And then, then when they come to our site, our job is to figure out how to create a really personalized experience for them so that they understand why you know, our product is right for them mm-hmm. and make sure that they get to the right person as quickly as they possibly can and that they have a really great pre-sales experience. That sounds easy and logical. <laughs> it is unbelievably difficult and it's probably where I spend the vast majority of my time right now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Especially when you're being, you know, when you're being uh, just inundated with information from all different areas, right? Even, even if we go on to the web, you know, different websites, we can see so much information, but getting to the right information, meeting with the right mm-hmm. people is just so important and within a, you know, reasonable amount of time. Yeah. Especially because most prospects spend 10, 15 seconds on your website. Exactly. And they spend, they spend 15 seconds engaging with your ad if you're lucky. So you have 30 seconds to make sure that they understand what your product does and why it's valuable for them and what's the right action they should take. That's not easy. Not easy at all. (laughs) Definitely. So I guess maybe talking through that, I mean, I think that, you know, all of us are looking to drive more revenue, right? And I think one of those ways, especially if they're only spending 15 seconds on your website, right? Learning about that and kind of leveraging that product-led growth strategy, right? Is a great way to engage new users, um, you know, if and when it's right, right, for your product. Um, but it's super complicated as well, especially from a marketing perspective. So how do you see sort of the marketing role different in maybe a PLG-led motion versus a sales-led motion? And then what do you think other, you know, marketers or other CMOs should really be thinking about when they have both? Yeah, and and I, the, the PLG motion was pretty new to me. So my whole previous career was really B2B marketing and, and sort of more enterprise tops down marketing. Mm -hmm. And then Asana was really where I learned about the PLG motion. And I really underestimated the (laughs) fundamental difference between PLG and SLG. Mm -hmm. And I had to almost relearn marketing when I was at Asana. Mm -hmm. And the great thing is that when it came to Calendly, it was incredibly similar. And I was able to take a lot of those learnings and really help apply it to, to, um, to Calendly. So there's, man, I can go on. We could, we could spend literally five hours talking about this. (laughs) So I'll try to, I'll try to keep it short. Um, so I'd say one of the, the big differences between being a, a CMO of a SLG versus PLG motion is that with a, with a PLG motion, the CMO is really actually at the epicenter of a lot of these really incredible, really strategic decisions that are happening across the company. So I have to think not only about my, the marketing that I'm doing to influence sales, which is kind of what I used to do, but I have to think about what is our product experience? Mm-hmm. What is our customer support experience? What's our activation? What's our monetization? What's our retention? How do we marry the um, the leads that are coming in from the product to sales? Mm-hmm. You know, how do I support the expansion business on the sales side? How do I get really good product data um, to sales so that they have these good intent data mm-hmm. signals? How do I think about the um, trade-offs between people signing up for our product and people becoming leads so that they can talk to sales and what's more valuable. And I can go on and on, but just the complexity is at least a hundred times more with a PLG motion than with an SLG motion. And I think that's why I love it because you really have to think about the, all the incredibly difficult strategic decisions that are happening with product and sales and CS and finance in a way that you don't, if you are in a more traditional SLG motion. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely think, you know, I think about, 
all the areas of revenue, but especially in the marketing world, at least my experience has been, you know, I've worked for several companies that do have both, um, both a product led sort of a self-serve motion, a freemium product, you know, some type of product led motion. And then I'll have a traditional sales led motion. And I've seen sort of on the marketing end, just some of that complexity and some of the change in mind shift, right? Especially if you are a marketing leader who hasn't worked in that, um, that type of model. So that's super helpful. Thank you. Yeah. One thing also that I, that it is, that I did, that I underestimated how hard this was to make the change is that in a SLG model, you typically have a very clear persona that you're marketing yes. and selling to. And it's, it, it's pretty easy and straightforward. You know, when I, when I, when I was at wildfire, we sold to social media marketers mm -hmm. and directors of marketing. So you knew exactly who to target. You knew exactly the message to share you, all the materials, all the conferences to go to. It was very straightforward. When I was at Piazza, we sold to recruiting and it was the same thing. Mm -hmm. When you have a PLG business, you're just kind of trying to beat the bushes and you're trying to get yeah. as many birds to fly into the net as possible. And so you may end up with 15, 20 different types of people mm -hmm. that engage with your product and sign up. And so you can't market and sell to 15 to 20 different types of people. And so you have to make a lot of really hard decisions and trade-offs mm -hmm. about, you know, who is going to be your persona. You can't have more than three or four right. and who's, you know, is, and, and how are you going to segment it? Are you going to segment by use case? Are you going to segment by function? Are you going to segment by level? Mm -hmm. And then how do you, when they, when they, when you do advertising, when you do conferences, when they come to your website, when you provide sales materials, when you segment your sales team, how do you make sure that you are, you know, segmenting by those appropriate personas, you have the right use cases and language for each of them. Um, and you can speak to them without sacrificing the other parts of your business. So that, that really is where a lot of this extra complexity comes to. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. That's a great point. Thank you. Um, you know, one of the topics, I guess, that comes up frequently, and I know I'm doing a lot of context switching right now, too, because <laughs> I, I have so much that I want to ask you and learn from you. Um, but I think that, you know, maybe shifting a little bit, because one of the topics that comes up really frequently in my work is to how to drive better alignment, right, between sales and marketing. Um, you know, because you've done the sales role, you've done the marketing role, you know, you're, you're probably really good at driving that because you have that empathy and understanding, but you know, maybe what has worked for you, right. To have better alignment and synergies with sales. And do you have any advice for other people? This is probably the question I get asked the most, which <laughs> I find really funny because I find it really easy yeah. to have alignment. And I think it's, it's so interesting that it, it is such a hot topic. Mm -hmm. Um, and so number one is, is having empathy. Yeah sales. Um, and, and I make sure that with my team, I don't allow any negativity towards sales. So, you know, one thing that I hear all the time is marketers complaining that sales doesn't work their leads. Sales doesn't do this. Sales doesn't do that. And my perspective, you know, I have a few things that I share with my team. Number one is, you know, if, if you, um, don't have to worry about feeding your family because you didn't make your quota, then you cannot complain. Mm -hmm. You know, we get paid whether or not we hit our numbers, they don't. So let's have a deep level of empathy for the fact that they are trying to, you know, feed their family. Um, the second thing that I share is that uh, salespeople are really smart entrepreneurs that run their own business, and they are trying to figure out the easiest and most efficient way to hit their number. Mm -hmm. And if they're not working our leads, and if they're not uh, supporting the programs that we are giving them, it means that we are not doing our job. It means that they they are telling us 
implicitly that they don't value our programs. And so we need to either change our programs or we need to change the way that we're messaging mm. to sales so that they see value. So it's on us. Um, so that's, that's number one. Uh, the second thing is we have to speak the same language. So we can't be talking about webinar um, uh, attendees <laughs> or leads. Sales does not care about that. <laughs> they care about the dollars in their pocket. So we, they, they're talking about revenue and pipeline. We need to talk about revenue and pipeline and we need to show how what we're doing is driving revenue and pipeline for them. Uh, and then the third thing is we need to create our plans together. Yes. So, you know, I, I have so many times seen where a marketing team will put together a plan and then they'll just tell the sales team what they're doing. And then they're surprised and angry when the sales team doesn't follow along. I'm like, well, if someone just came to you and told you how to do your job, you'd be pretty <laughs> upset. And so, you know, we what, what we do on my team is we create our calendar, mm -hmm. um, our proposed activities and our strategy. We share it with the sales team. We ask for their feedback. Mm -hmm. And once they have given their feedback and we agree on the plan, then that is our shared accountability plan. Yep. So we are accountable for delivering those programs and they're accountable for supporting them because they've said they're valuable. So if they've said, yes, we think events are valuable, then I'm going to hold them accountable for following up on event leads. And so I think it's that mutual accountability and communication that's really important. Yeah. Yeah. Speaking all my language, um, my background is all on the revenue operations side and you're speaking my language alignment. And, you know, it's funny is that I actually think sometimes it is, I wonder why it's so complex because as you pointed out, it's really fundamentals. Right. It's the fundamental things of good communication, empathy, you know, driving alignment, making sure people buy in. Right. And that mutually agreed mm -hmm. plan. And that goes for goals and language and, you know, the extra, actual plan that you're going to execute. You know, it's just driving that alignment, making sure everybody's on board. Um, but it is definitely yeah, it's so, easy, so easy to point fingers and it's so tempting to point fingers. And so, especially when marketing and sales are so inextricably linked and we all we each depend on each other. And so it's very easy to say, well, I, I made these great programs, but you didn't follow up with the leads and sales as well. I followed up with the leads, but they were terrible. And that's, that's not helpful to anybody. And so, you know, I think it, it really is about understanding, being curious, asking why, uh, and, and trying to get to the, the heart of what's working and what's not working mm -hmm. and recognizing that everybody is trying to do the same thing and trying to do the right thing. Yeah. Oh, you're speaking my language. I feel like we rehearsed this ahead of time. Being curious, asking why, you know, getting in the same boat a lot of times is just like, you know, everybody in the same boat instead of everyone rowing, you know, in their own separate little boats. It's 100%. so important. Awesome. I love that. Um, so let's shift gears again a little bit, you know, and I think that, you know, at this point, you know, at some point, I'm really hoping that this is not even a topic. It's not relevant to discuss, but I think, unfortunately, in today's world, we're still seeing revenue as primarily still more male dominated. I think it's changing, but it is still primarily. And I think especially as you look at executive leadership roles, you also see less female leaders. You know, as a RevOps leader, for me, you know, there's been many times where I'm the only woman in the room as well. So, you know, as a woman in a C-level, you know, revenue role at a technology company, um, what advice do you have maybe for other women who are looking to, you know, elevate their career and maybe continue to move up that, you know, ladder? Well, I can tell you, having started my career in investment banking, I am very familiar <laughs> with male-dominated workplaces. Yes. Um, I think there was 90% men and 10% women. Uh, and, uh, and, and I would say that there was a lot of, there was a lot of trauma there, to be honest. There's a lot of experiences there that really impacted me and took me a long time to sort of unwind. 
in my psyche. So I am, I am deeply understanding of this issue uh, and still work, working through some of that. Uh, so I'd say, you know, I think one, one of the things that I think a lot about, and, and I think I've learned myself, having made a lot of these mistakes, is, is you have to be confident and you have to be direct. And you have to figure out ways to be confident. You have to figure out ways to be direct, even if it feels really uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, it, it is one of those things of like, you got to fake it till you make it, right? And and I think it's, it is so hard for women to be, in particular, to be in environments where they don't feel 100% confident and they don't feel like they belong in the room. And I think just giving yourself the permission to fake that confidence and eventually you will be confident. Um, I say that the other thing that I think a lot about, and I, I tried, I think earlier in my career to mirror a lot of the sort of the, the patterns and the communication and the behaviors of the, of the men that I worked with. And it didn't feel right to me, but I tried because I thought that that was the right thing to do. Mm-hmm. And so when I became me and when I gave myself permission to be softer and be kinder, um, and be more human and be more female, mm-hmm. that actually is when my career took off. And that was when I was more successful. So I think you can learn from the best of what other people, what, what you're seeing from other people, but don't feel like you have to be them and don't feel like you have to be just like them. Yeah. I love that advice. That's really good advice. I love that. Um, yeah, I definitely think that's great advice. <laughs> I have to t- kind of soak that in a little bit, but Definitely. Thank you for sharing that. I appreciate yeah. that. I'm curious, what do, what do you think? What are some things that you've done? Yeah, I absolutely think so. I'm The mirroring piece, I, I don't know, you probably saw me kind of nodding my head and smiling because yes, I do think that early in my career definitely felt that way as well because there wasn't anyone in the room, you know, sort of look like me or, you know, just different, I think. And so you try to sort of fit in, but then you realize at some point in your career, it's like, look, I'm, I'm, that's not me. That's not my style. And then figuring out what works for, you know, what works for you and how you feel comfortable so that you can be confident and then you can actually, you know, excel in your career. Um, But yeah, definitely can definitely resonates with me as well. Um, I think the other thing that I, you know, a lot of times when I get asked that question, um, and this goes along with sort of that confidence and being comfortable with yourself is also getting kind of that being okay with being uncomfortable, right? You talked about kind of fake it till you make it, but I also think it's like, it's okay to be uncomfortable because that's really where you grow, right? That's, that's, I think that's the big growth Mm -hmm. zone is when you are in that uncomfortable zone. So I wish I, you know, I guess that's one of the things that I probably wish I did more of when I, earlier in my career was just take more risks and put myself in more of those, you know, m- what might be perceived as an uncomfortable situation um, versus, you know, kind of sitting back and kind of letting others take the lead. Yeah. And, and I think that, you know, it's one of the really interesting things when I was an investment banker and I would go into a room and there would literally be 30 men and me yep. is I would immediately go and find a chair in the corner yes. and I would sit there and it was just the thing that I did. And I remember when I worked at Dell and it was, there were a lot of men in there too. It was, it was more men than women. And I would do the same thing. And I remember there being people that said, no, come sit at the table. Literally they told me to have a seat at the table. <laughs> yeah. And, and that, that meant a lot to me. That meant a lot to have somebody said, no, you, you belong here. You deserve to be here and come up and sit here. And that's something that I try to do a lot now, whether, mm-hmm. whether literally or metaphorically, is how do you, is, is leaving space for other women or, or anybody else mm-hmm. that feels uncomfortable or that feels different or, or um, you know, it, it seems like they are 
they want to participate, but they something's holding them back. Yeah. It's like, how do you help them get a seat at the table? Yeah. Yeah. I love that. that. Um, you know, as I think about the revenue engine and then this podcast, I've always hoped that others will be able to learn, you know, how to accelerate revenue growth, right? And power that revenue engine. Um, maybe if there was like one piece of advice, right? One thing that you would give to any revenue leader or maybe another CMO, you know, kind of that one thing that makes all the difference when it comes to revenue, what would that be? This is going to be the least sexy answer that you've ever heard. <laughs> but I do actually believe it. It's really building a great infrastructure um, and a great base. Oh, you're so speaking my language again. <laughs> I know. Yeah, maybe this is the most sexy thing you've ever heard. <laughs> So, you know, we, we as marketers, we want to do all the great things. We want to do the super, we want to do the Super Bowl commercials. We want to do the billboard campaigns. We want to have millions of dollars in ad spend. We want to have the, the great messaging. But you, you, if you don't have the underlying processes, the system, the data, the accountability, um, you, you will not be able to make it successful because you cannot figure out if it's working or not. Yep. I think that that's just so important in this day and age is that you can't just um, build something or launch something or spend something and then continue to have free reign if you can't demonstrate why or or why it didn't work. Right. Um, and so it is all the nuts and bolts of the of the plumbing and the data and the um, alignment that you have to do in order to get the opportunity to do the sexy fun stuff. Yeah, I love that. Oh my gosh, you're like so speaking my language. I feel like like I'm sponsoring <laughs> I'm sponsoring your guest appearance, like alignment and plumbing and infrastructure. You're just speaking my language. I love it. Love it. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> thank you so much for joining me, Jessica. But as, as we wrap up, before I let you go, I always love, you know, to ask two things of all my guests. So one, what is that one thing about you that maybe others might be surprised? to learn. I know we touched on the yogurt piece already, but maybe, maybe there might be something else. And two, you know, what is the one thing that you really want everyone to know about you? So probably the thing that others would be surprised to learn is that the, between the first and my second year at business school, I was a semi-professional poker player. Oh, nice. (laughs) Wow. I haven't played in many years, but that was really fun. Um, and, uh, and I, and I learned a lot talk, again, talking about spending a lot of time with, with men that was, it was me and a lot of men. And I think they were always surprised when I beat them. Yeah. So that was fun. Awesome. I love uh, that. But, yes. And then probably the, the thing that I would want everybody to know about me and, and maybe I think this goes back to what we talked about before about what it's like to, to try to be yourself, mm-hmm. um, is that I think you can be really kind and you can be really thoughtful and empathetic and be a great leader while also being really direct and being result-oriented and holding people to, to high standards. So I, I try to do both. And I believe that the kindest thing you can do is to create an environment where people are doing their best work and they know exactly where they stand. So that's, that's kind of something that I have learned over time is how to balance those two things. Yeah. Oh, I love it. I love it. That's exactly, I'm mean, just so many words and so many thoughts that you're sharing just really, really resonate with me. Um, so definitely thank you so much for joining me, Jessica. I really appreciate you sharing so many great insights, really great advice and just learning from you. It's been amazing. Thank you. I've, I've loved it. Thank you so much. Thank you. 